0: Buenos dias. Thank you for joining us for Bienvenidos, a CBA DBA limited series podcast celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. A term that, as you will hear, can be both celebratory and controversial, as well as inclusive yet isolating. Join Annie Martinez, the current second vice president of the Denver Bar Association and past president of the Colorado Hispanic Bar Association as she explores the backgrounds and careers of some of Colorado's inspirational Hispanic and Latin lawyers.
1: Hola, mi gente. Welcome to Bienvenidos, a limited series podcast for Hispanic Heritage Month. This is Annie Martinez, your DBA second VP, and I'm happy to be leading the discussion today regarding being an agent of change and change makers in the Hispanic community in greater Colorado. In our studio today, we have the distinct pleasure of having Juan Marcano and Cristo Murillo of Aurora City Council. And so thank you for being in the studio today, you both.
0: Yeah, thank you for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Annie. We appreciate it. Excited. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure our listeners how, you know, how up to date they are with who's in Aurora city council. Some of us, if we're not even living in Aurora, this may not be something we follow, but um, you're two very prominent, very amazing, you know, young Latinos representing our community in elected office. And so I really wanted to have a conversation with both of you about what it is to make change and what it is to advocate for a community and for a community that's not necessarily always treated with the the respect that it deserves, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So we know from the census data that Colorado is about, what was it, like 21, almost 22% Hispanic or identifying as Hispanic. So it's gone up. And we know that there is a pretty large contingency of Hispanic community in uh, the Aurora area. And so... Let's start off first with introducing you guys, because I don't think everyone knows you all. And so let's start off with Juan. Do you think you could give us just a little bit about yourself, your background, or give us a lot of it?
0: Uh, Yeah, so Juan Maricano, uh, I represent Ward 4 on the Aurora City Council. Um, My family's from Puerto Rico. I was actually born in Bayamon, um, and we moved all over the place. I think it's a very common story for a lot of Puerto Ricans. There's like a generational diaspora basically every 20 years or so you know a bunch of folks move out of the island Mm -hmm. so we moved around to god where did I live growing up like you know uh Orlando Christmas Houston Plano McAllen and then like back to Houston Wow! like and actually back to Puerto Rico at one point in there too because I think I did if my memory serves I did kindergarten like or part of my kindergarten in Houston, and then I finished first grade in Puerto Rico. That's <laughs> cool. Fell yeah. uh, in Fajardo. So yeah, it's you know we moved around a lot. My parents are both retail workers, um, so they just kind of went where the money was at, right? And mm-hmm. then it's uh, finally settled in Houston uh, when my dad finally became a manager, and we were able to afford a house. But before then, just apartments, you know, Mm -hmm. cohabitating with my grandparents, you know, big, big households, you know how it goes. Big households, (laughs) small houses. houses. Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, I think kind of like a solidly working class uh, background, like my parents had a lot of struggles um, that, you know, frankly, played into my childhood and the childhood of my sisters, you know. Mm -hmm. I remember my dad told me something um, when, you know, I was getting like into like my early teens and I didn't quite really grok it at the time, but, you know, as I got older and, you know, especially after I moved out and started getting into politics, I really understood <laughs> what <laughs> he meant. And that was that his goal was to raise me and my sisters like middle class white kids. Wow. So, yeah. And it's like. You know, um, my sisters like they understand Spanish, but they don't speak it. Yep. I half speak it. I speak mm-hmm. I speak Spanglish. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I know, um, that. <laughs>
1: Spanglish is its own official language. Yes. One day it will be recognized. <laughs> yeah, when
0: I when I speak English, like I sound more Texan than you know Latino. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's it's you know that kind of an experience, and uh, it change. You know, it's it's a different perspective growing up, getting into like you know uh, the professional world. You know, my background is architecture and engineering design. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was a BIM manager for a multinational firm before I jumped into politics. But, like, it's, a, it's an interesting space to navigate because you're often the only person of color in very white rooms, yeah. uh, very white, very male rooms. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's starting to change a little bit. You know, in the 13 years that I've been working in that industry, like, I was the only one or one of two. You know, out of wow. a group of like 100 plus, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it's starting to change, which is good. But it's uh, it makes for a really interesting dynamic, especially when I was working in Texas, let me tell you. So, <laughs> yeah, but we can maybe dive into that in a little bit. I want to let Crystal go. So,
1: All right, Crystal. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your background?
2: So, you know, your story starts with not you, but your family. Uh, my family's from Mexico, from the uh, Guadalajara area um my they they emigrated to the U.S. several decades ago 40 maybe 40 plus years mm-hmm. so um uh, made their way you know working all the jobs that they could uh through California um and then uh my uh you know so my mom and my aunt um the eldest of the the six kids they were born in mexico um you know they made all of them made their way up to california the the third kid was born there you know always Mm -hmm. moving to seek opportunity right so moving through california made their way to phoenix um and you know we have family kind of all over as a result Mm -hmm. so um made their way there a couple other kids born there um and then uh we landed in colorado um and that's uh and and aurora uh specifically kind of the aurora area so um that's you know how we got here as a family um so aurora is my home Um, i was born actually in phoenix but um came to Aurora I think less than a year old so Aww. that's that's hometown <laughs> for me um and I you know I've just grown up there I went to eight different schools my mom was a uh, single mom um and you know she had two kids and really had to kind of navigate being an immigrant in this country trying to you know work her way and support her kids um, in that situation which you know is not like a new story that I hear um, you know from a lot of my friends or folks that I know you know Aurora is very diverse and Mm -hmm. um, my district or uh, the Ward 1 area is 57% Latino so I'm not surprised that that's without knowing that data like (laughs) knowing my own history independent of that and like having it validated just after the fact with those numbers you you kind of realize and like understand kind of how that migration happens um so yeah i I went through the aurora public schools uh creek school districts Mm -hmm. um graduated as the first uh, person to get a high school degree in my my family and then on to the university of denver to get the first college degree um and uh, so I just, I've never been very far, right? Like I've <laughs> I've traveled certainly, but I've never left home, uh, which I think is also very Latino, right? Like I always <laughs> want to be close to my family when yeah. I think of like, you know, I just bought my first house um, Oh, congrats. Uh, oh yeah. and I, I, you know, have to live in my district, but I always want to be close to my community, my people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, um, now as like a young professional city council member by night and then um, (laughs) I work at the University of Denver still um, in the office of undergraduate admission uh, as my quote day job Um, but yeah I mean I, I love to like they infuse like my lived experiences in my work. And I feel like I get to do that on a policy level um, when I am, you know, on my city council role. And then at DU, um, when I am, you know, I, I work on a diversity and access team. I mm-hmm. specialize in strategic partnership and kind of the a- access work there. So um, I guess the history is is there, but I guess I'm just really proud and like excited and, and privileged in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to be able to get to do what I want. Um, And because of that lived experience. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's the those sacrifices that gave me the opportunity to do and to be here. Right. To be talking Mm -hmm. about these things.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a common thread a lot of us can talk about in terms of like what our families have sacrificed and also done in uh, just compounding amounts in terms of like what you might see another family Not saying that people don't put in as much effort into their kids, but just when you're an immigrant background or you not necessarily an immigrant because Puerto Rico is part of the states, but when Mm -hmm. you're migrating like that, you know, and you're doing it for for survival and to get a step ahead each time. Um, that's not only kind of a unifying thread amongst many Hispanic and Latinos in Colorado, but across the country, but also to your point, both of you, I think you mentioned the diversity that exists in Aurora. Mm. It, it, there is a lot of, you know, immigrant communities there, whether they're third, second or first generation, you know, that that unifying thread of they did so much and sacrificed so much so that I could be that one level higher again. And I heard a lot of the same that you mentioned, Juan, about like, I want you all to be able to live like, Mm -hmm. you know, middle class white kids. I don't want you to struggle. I don't want you to think about the things that we've had to think about. And, you know, to, to varying degrees, they're successful, right? And then there's also the other parts that they're not aware of that that experience puts on your shoulders mm-hmm. um but you know it's it's definitely done with love um i wanted to highlight one thing though that you didn't say crystal i mean I, you're like the oldest and like the millionth latina in aurora city council right <laughs> that's that's what the snap yeah, is that's,
2: that's what that is no <laughs> uh well since we're talking about it yeah so uh I guess I kind of glossed over the part that uh when I was first elected in 2017 mm-hmm. I was 23 years old so I was the youngest in Aurora's history and I was also the first Latina which like I said my district was 50 per- 57% Latino it b- kind of blows my mind but it, mm-hmm. it, at the same time it doesn't right like mm-hmm. folks I don't think traditionally have paid attention to more local politics. I think you know you're supposed to vote every 4 years for the president. and Like that's mm-hmm. kind of the the bar speaking of bars. Um so <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's yeah, let's not, let's not gloss over that. I
1: <laughs> don't you know, and I think it, it ties into a lot of stuff we've talked about in terms of um kind of norms that we see in the Hispanic and Latino community of, you know, you're focused on getting by, you're focused on your day-to-day, and then if you're that first generation kid, as an adult, the pressure to succeed sometimes doesn't let you open your eyes to these other types of opportunities, right? Like, so for me, it was, girl, you go to law school and make money because we are never going to bleed living paycheck to paycheck or no check to no check ever again. And I'm sure to some extent for both of you, that's kind of similar of like, no, 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 you need that financial stability. And when you're so you know, it's like the hierarchy of needs, right? If you're always at the bottom part, you never get to the higher up ones, the yeah. more nuanced ones. And so individuals like us, like you two specifically, you know, you're breaking the the mold and, and breaking that barrier of running and winning in these spots because it is absurd. It is completely disparate that an award that is majority Latino is not being represented by a Latino. And I think that anyone who hears that would go, oh what? How did that ever, like, how did that, how did that fly? And the issue is, you know, not only we can talk about all the systemic issues that keep our communities, you know, and, and other communities like us out of these roles, right? Like, that's a whole other podcast probably. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from, like, the structural stuff, you also have your innate personal stuff of, like, I don't have time for this. I got to make sure, like, my family's good. And I, I, I don't think city council for some of these like positions, like DPS also, like it's either non-paying at all. It's voluntary. You got to yeah. keep both of you. you like, you you all working while you're trying to do this. Like it's not, it's set up in a way to be really, really difficult for our community and other communities like ours to attain that. Absolutely. And that's so why maybe both of you can talk to that point a little bit. Juan, if you want to go first, just like what that experience was like for you personally.
0: Not for sure. Um, when I initially set out to run, you know, I thought that I was going to be able to keep my day job. Um, I was a BIM manager, like I said at yeah. the time, and um, and still be able to do counsel. But as that election drew closer, it's like, one, you know, especially after having talked to like Crystal about like how demanding the job is. It's like, I don't know if that's necessarily feasible, Cause my job is not really flexible mm-hmm. and uh two like i wasn't going to be able to win let alone serve if i didn't <laughs> actually spend more time on doors you know so uh so it's not just the actual demands of the job it's getting the job yeah. as well you have to yeah. be in a position of privilege to do that mm-hmm. and i was and i had you know i basically cashed in my some of my privilege chips there yeah. <laughs> that you know I, I was financially stable and my wife also uh, works, uh, you know, and earns a decent salary mm-hmm. that, you know, she could basically carry me mm-hmm. for a couple of months until I either win or lose and then get another job. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, being on the inside now, like, it's a, you know, it's a glamorous job. It pays exceptionally well. We make $33,000 a year if you don't take the health Ooh. insurance. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and I got to tell you, like, I don't, I've never been busier. Like, you know, I, I would not have been able to serve my constituency and hold down my old day job at the same time. I just wouldn't have mm-hmm. and uh, I know that you know I'm, I'm grateful that like some of the other folks who are on council who do have you know day jobs they have at least some of that flexibility baked yeah, in yeah. like there's a lot of uh, the, the way it's set up like the system gets the results it's designed to get right until mm-hmm. we break it yeah. and you know make it more equitable but yeah. Like I think it's there's a reason why the person that Crystal and seated with it was an 83 year old retired Trump supporter, <laughs> like who's got the time to you know do this work yeah. for little money and also like you know
1: yeah it's not it's no skin off their nose to be able to do it in a certain way no right? for the, sure there's like, the skin in the game is not the same no yeah. it, it
0: really isn't so yeah it's not designed uh, to let people who are more working class who have different lived experiences that aren't necessarily you know caked in. Privilege who aren't independently wealthy or already retired or just Mm -hmm. well connected Mm -hmm. to participate. So we have to kind of bend it and break it until we can make it do that, and I think that's hopefully something we'll be able to do in the future here.
2: Well, and and kinda to your point, Annie, when I think about, like, it was never, like, I didn't run, like, against someone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I ran for something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, for the values that I believe in, for my community, for survival. Yeah. And I think that's what makes me, like, it is the most stressful, like, I have three jobs right now, right? <laughs> I'm running for re-election, I'm on council, and I have a full-time job, like, yep. wow. Um, sometimes i don't even know how i made it through the last (laughs) year but i i do know why in some ways because i truly believe that my my survival as as a person in this city the people that i care about that i love you know the high school teacher that i you know still run into (laughs) that i went to elementary school with or that my mom worked with Mm -hmm. um the grocery store worker like i i think it is the most frustrating exhausting time in my life but I feel like I am the at at, at a point at at, in my prime in some ways yeah Mm -hmm. because I feel like being inextricably linked and like tied to the outcome of the things you're fighting for makes you a better advocate right so Mm -hmm. what I was frustrated about was aside from like not representing the the you know, the, the constituency, demographic, yeah. the demographics of the last, the last uh, person in the seat was that this was like a, like a vol, like almost a volunteer position, like mm-hmm. for fun, like, cause you have time. And like, it's just the most frustrating thing because I, I just felt like the, the votes there like exemplified that as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Like just your, just so many, I don't know, just like layers removed from the like actual lived experience of people who were going through things now. Like we need now, like what's going on now?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to pivot a little bit. And uh, let's see, Juan, if you can talk a little bit about your, you know, your Puerto Rican heritage and how that demonstrates in your day to day in terms of like you as a person, but also um, as an elected official.
0: You know, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Puerto Ricans aren't like really immigrants because we're already U.S. citizens. And it's like, that's true. We are U.S. citizens. but. Puerto Rico has a very different culture than the mainland mm-hmm. USA, so we don't have to deal with the documentation aspect of immigrating and that struggle, which we can do a whole a whole other podcast yeah, on, I'm right, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is a very different culture, and yeah. um, you know that's part of it was one of the interesting experiences that I had growing up, and even still today, like uh, it's it's a, it's a kind of self doubt that is instilled in me, I think, as a result because I grew up basically being too white for the Latinos and too Latino for the white kids. You know what yep. I mean? So, like, never really fitting in. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of changes the way I approach, um, you know, not just, you know, professional and personal relationships, but also like politics, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, trying to understand, like, why my parents, you know, going back to what my dad told me, like, that I want to raise you like middle class white kids, like, why did he have to do that? Mm -hmm. And what can I do in this position now of community trust and leadership? To break down that necessity, I don't want people to feel like they need to abandon their culture or, you know, basically uh, assimilate their Mm -hmm. kids into whatever whiteness happens to be in that part of the country, right? Um, That's, I feel like that's basically what happened to us, but that they are free and, you know, expected to, like, you know, express their culture to preserve that, but also interweave it with the fabric of, you know, the greater city, in our case, right, of Aurora. So, and I feel like that's something that was missing with the way that we were raised. and again, I don't think it was a malicious intent. I think my parents yeah, yeah. did it out of a place of love. They thought that would be best uh, for me and my sisters. Yeah. you know um, thinking back to the struggles my grandfather faced. He was a brilliant man. he was a uh, worked uh, he was a veteran. He worked in uh, you know oil and gas. Mm-hmm. but he my understanding is that he had struggles finding employment because his English wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, his Spanish was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> his English was not the best. And my grandmother, um, she never really learned English either. Right. Yeah. So I feel like the, you know, that experience for my grandparents on my mother's side informed how my parents decided to raise us because they didn't yep. want us to have that kind of a struggle right yeah. or to hear an accent in our speaking and, and then, then get called out exactly and yeah have saw that trigger a negative uh you know impact in a potential employer for example right mm-hmm. so yeah so you know i guess their gambit to some extent worked out right but <laughs> yeah um you know it, but it also comes with things like you know being told oh you're one of the good ones oh that's you know, the worst oh yeah oh and it, it, you really uh, make yeah. your
1: people proud what do you mean what do you mean, like, do you mean? I, I don't, excuse me it doesn't yeah. sound the way you think it sounds <laughs> right. yeah it's like yeah
0: it's like or you're so articulate and it's like i know that you mean that from like a good place right yep. but it's like oh it's still just like
1: yeah. I I get told my English is really good. Racket. And I'm like, well, it was my first language. I, I would really hope would so. hope it is. So, you know, thanks. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: So like, you know, again, like the way that informs um, my approach to politics is trying to break down those barriers yeah. and, you know, see what it is that makes people feel that they need to do this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and let me tell you, like, I've been knocking a lot of doors because it's election season. So I'm out like in mobile home parks in Ward 2 because there's not a representative out there currently. And uh, I'm, you know, talking to these overwhelmingly Latino communities in these mobile home parks. And the parents, when they open the door, they light up when I speak to them in Spanish, (laughs) right? And then when they realize I'm there for elections, they bring the kid over Hmm. because a lot of them aren't able to vote. Yeah. So and then the kids speak perfect English to me, <laughs> yeah. and struggle with the Spanish. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So like mm-hmm. it's that kind of a.
2: That's been my experience too.
0: Yeah, and it's like it's kind of it's sad to me in a ways because it's like what my parents, you know, again for good reasons I think mm-hmm. from their perspective, like, but well, it's like we're basically not destroying, but like setting aside our own cultures. It's
1: a it's a deliberate uh, disregard to be able to like track with the default, right? So I yeah. think like yeah. we you know recognizing that that heteronormative patriarchal like that white normal that white default is what's you know it's called the default for a reason Mm -hmm. and so the minute you don't fit into that there is a lot of pressure
0: absolutely and a
1: lot of a lot of guilt for the parents, a lot of like self-doubt for you as the as the child in that unit, right? And I see that a lot here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I my parents preempted that. We were born in Chicago, and my parents looked at me and my brother with my dad's Tony Montana, you know, accent, <laughs> talking like Scarface, "Oye <laughs> ani, My mom was like, "Bro, we're moving to Miami. Everybody in Miami is Cuban. I don't want my kids to ever feel othered." Right. And so they you know, I got the lucky experience in that sense of like her being very self-aware because she came from Cuba when she was like 10 or 11. And so she had to do middle school in Esau and like she went through it. Yeah, And she was like, look, it doesn't even matter how young you come or if you're born here. If you're other, you're other. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want us to, to, to experience that at all. So we got super spoiled growing up in Miami, in Hialeah particularly, which is like, the cubanist of the cuban (laughs) enclave outside of Cuba. i mean like it was like the people were coming and they were going straight to hialeah they'd get you know wet foot dry foot they touched land (laughs) they got to hialeah that is where i lived and so for us we i didn't experience some of this stuff until college Mm. Mm. and then i was like oh this is what everybody's been talking about that Mm. i've been blinded and protected from for the last 18 years of my (laughs) life because when we left chicago i was little i was um kindergarten age i don't remember squat i remember growing up and being in miami and being i mean we had definitely struggles there and different issues and there's a lot of classism there's a lot of colorism yep. um you know my dad's a lot darker i came out very fair comparatively speaking yep. and so you know people would you t- you know you get told like oh don't go out in the sun you don't want to get any darker that kind of stuff um yeah super weird <laughs> super racist yep. but um Yeah, definitely avoided that experience, but I see it a lot here in Colorado where either you have a lot of um, individuals who I feel take the perspective of the border cross them, and so they consider themselves like native Coloradans, and that might be, you know, to some, to some extent Mexican heritage, but maybe for them it's really Coloradan heritage, and they're not really recognized that way, and they have, you know, Spanish surnames. They're over here, Lucero, and all this stuff, mm-hmm. but their, their identity is different, and then you have the ones that have immigrated and have been made to feel like, put it in a box, Because the only part they like about us is our food and music. We can take those parts out (laughs) and we can, you know, do our little hey they're good parts though. They're good. they're (laughs) definitely good parts. They're also like the most palatable, right? right. And so the rest of us has to stay in a box. And so then that's where that like yeah that dynamic starts to grow in the in the intergenerational of like well we love abuelita but you need to be as white as possible
2: (laughs) you know like two generations that code switching is exhausting right and like having to do that like because i just until recently like after i bought my first twist i was living with my misabuelos, you know Mm -hmm. and that was that was tough right so like (laughs) you know i'm over here on a Conference call with the governor and his staff in you know in my room and then you know they're like all the kids that they're watching are like running around like screaming and they're like, Mia, do you want to come?" And, like, <laughs> "Quieres fruta? <laughs> <laughs> Quieres fruta? Tengo algo on, on call, like <laughs> it's it's comical but legit it was yeah. like so it was tough and like you know that's like such a small price to pay like in in regard to yeah. like just being able to like be with family but that code switching is real like I remember. Because I think it's 100% like about your heritage, your lived experience. But, you know, what you were saying, Annie, about uh, generations, like the intergenerational difference. Like I had all of that all at the same time, mm-hmm. right? And like being the first one, like there was one other woman of color, but she was like I think in her, her 40s already. And um, like I like could tell like was just not in the same place that I was. So mm-hmm. like luckily I feel like I – like going to a predominantly white – University helped me kind of prepare for that like business acumen. I got a <laughs> business degree, not realizing that like it was a perfect transition into like the political space, mm. but yeah. like what the the privilege that I felt, and it's taken me a long time to like articulate this, but uh, the privilege I felt was like having my, other people's lived experiences, right? Like when you're an executive session, closed door, like nobody's having these conversations or, you know, just with staff or different meetings that maybe not everyone's privy to mm-hmm. right? publicly, people are a little more on their better behavior, right? <laughs> like watch themselves more, but the, the deference to like what the like quote truth was right like the deference that my colleagues got when they would talk about like their experiences growing up or their beliefs and like why that was like like they said it as a fact like Mm -hmm. when it was just like their opinion opinion. and and lived experience but that like privilege that that deference was given to them and I didn't realize why I was so frustrated and uncomfortable at first and it was that and I remember I had to think like, how do I get people to hear me, right? Like, how am Mm -hmm. I, like, navigating this? Um, And I I don't know if I even have, like, didn't intentionally or unintentionally, but, like, I guess just trying to make sure that, like, I had space and little by little just trying to, like, accept it for myself that my, they just shared their opinion, right? Like, breaking it down. And, like, we're nodding our heads. We're, like, in agreement. So let me try that and see how that goes, right? (laughs) And then, like... When people would try to argue like one thing I knew I could lean on you can't tell me what my lived experience was. Yep we could talk about facts and blah 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 and i let me tell you facts don't feel like facts after a while because there's always facts that you can use to argue one point or another You telling a lawyer this <laughs> yes, girl i know <laughs> believe me i'm like this experience has made me want to like go to law school right. because i'm just like man just like the mental gymnastics yeah. <laughs> we could talk later anyway. but just like i'm like okay so if if that's like like why why isn't that still given to me why do you get to argue about what i'm saying because Uh, one thing I am an expert in that you cannot take away and it's really easy to like take jabs at, right? I was 23, I was like newbie, like wasn't involved in a political party per se, like there was just so many things. So yeah, no, I realized that early on and it it took a while to like have the language, but the language and just like being able to identify it is so empowering Mm -hmm. to be able to like navigate those spaces, right, and I think there was, again, a little bit about culture and a little bit about generations, right, like that, opinion and just perspective about what an office should look like um, or could look like and like maybe not having such rigid like lines around those definitions Ooh. that yeah. was that was fun I'm <laughs> glad I was not the first and only like there are other colleagues like Juan and um, hopefully with this next election and some other folks who have been elected since that I think makes it feel like there is is that change right like yeah. that yeah. that is possible right so that's I'm fortunate that it's not just like the lone wolf there because it felt like that for a little while and it was tough. Yeah
1: I like calling it um, strategically authentic. Yeah and (laughs) and I don't mean that in an insincere way but I think um, that's something that's definitely and I'm sure both of you live it every day but even for me like as an attorney walking that thin that very thin line of like I'm going to be authentic to myself but I need to is this the hill I'm dying on today? Right. You know, like being very strategic and so learning how to maneuver some of these spaces in different ways than I maybe just inherently would, right? Like I might just come in and do something a certain way and then go, "Hmm, let me look at my audience. I'm in El Paso this month. I'm not going to act in El Paso the same way I act in Adams County. It's just that's not going to happen. I'm still myself and you know, I may not water that down per se, but you definitely know you know your audience and you're strategic about that. And and that gets frustrating cuz then at what point are you like selling out and selling yourself out and what point are you um Whitewashing yourself, right? And like, where's that line at? And it's hard because as the non default people, we don't get to define it, right? (laughs) So it's this constant mental gymnastics, like you said earlier, of being yourself, but this version of yourself in this setting, arguing this point, because especially, and I I wanna kind of talk about that too in terms of, you know, what kind of, you know, when you're in a room trying to make change and in terms of making change that can empower, your community and can also help, hopefully make things more equitable in your community like how
2: how has that experience been for you Uh, like you were just talking about like the uh, the expression like the whitewashing like the like too much not enough right like we've all kind of like talked about that theme and I've definitely felt that way and at the same time like you are a grown adult Mm -hmm. you have autonomy over your own decisions and how you want to show up like like you like that when people say like trust people of color trust black women like they're talking they're talking about trusting that individual in this society to navigate that for themselves Mm -hmm. right like who are you to like to say that that is the right or wrong way but i feel you right like internally wanting to feel like you're honoring your your roots and your lived experience and for me like when i'm making decisions like of course there's like I feel like I've been practicing like the the navigating different spaces like (laughs) it feels like second nature now like that used to be a very hard thing for me to do it felt very Mm -hmm. uncomfortable that's not where I'm at anymore right Mm -hmm. so like how do how do I maintain that like lived experience in my decision making and I always remember like my grandma is like the she can be the angel and the devil on my shoulder right (laughs) (laughs) and I love her for it and like if if it wasn't clear and like what i was saying like how i am you know here in in this space like I come from a very matriarchal family like my abuelita would always say like um like get the cuesta you know what i mean mm-hmm. like what's it to you what is it does it really cost you anything to be a better person right Mm -hmm. and in the back of my mind i i i try to i try to be there right as much as like 100 percent like i'm gonna fight for like equity in all spaces and for me like that translates into like affordable housing right like basic things that i think we should all have access to right Mm -hmm. livable wages Mm -hmm. right and and for people to feel that they are safe right and you know i'm i'm specifically talking about what happened to Elijah McClain, right? That mm-hmm. happened in my district five minutes from where I live. And the, the only difference between us, like we were both 23 when something life-changing S- happened. And we we're both from Aurora. The only difference is that I I'm not black, right? So- mm-hmm trying to honor people's different lived experiences and what does it cost you to fight for those people, right? For mm-hmm. people who um, you may not realize, like you have a lot more in common with um, and and have the same struggle, right? So mm-hmm. to me, the expression of those values, aside from like the literal expression, like what you wear, how you navigate, what you yeah, say, yeah. when you choose to kind of dip in and out of uh, code switching in different cultures, it is very much about... Um, how how I make decisions and trying to remember my own roots right like there was a lot of struggle I might not be struggling in the same way that they Mm -hmm. were but how dare I forget that right like how dare I ignore that and so that's that that's to me like how I make decisions and how I'm honoring my family's lived experience and like and my culture Right. And like, you know, we're not a monolith. So like, mm-hmm. you know, another person could um, be, you know, identify with a similar story and, and not fight in the same way. Personally, yeah. I wouldn't know how. But <laughs> but like we the, yeah. the beauty about being Latino, um, uh, Hispanic, you know, Mexican-American um, is that we get to be complicated people. Right. Mm-hmm. And we get to be all of the things. And there isn't like a. Type of or way to be this in this body, right, yeah. and navigating. But I feel like I have a really strong north star because of my my family and like how I was raised.
1: Um, we know it's it's it is a fact that when whether it be a city council, whether it be a law firm, whether it be the bar, whether it be our government at other levels, when they're more accurately representative of their community, we get the kind of change we need to see in action. Right. And so I wanted to kind of talk to both of you maybe in general or specific, but in terms of like things that you feel that have come to change in Aurora that you recognize come because of, because of you and because of your background, that this would not have happened had it not been for a more diverse city council. Right. That kind of stuff is what I'm getting at. And I I think probably, I mean, the Elijah McLean discussion is very, Um, on the nose with that I'm Mm -hmm. not sure you know in terms of just you know it took it took how many bodies of people of color protesting for how long for us to get finally the the iota the bare minimum of justice which is a case right Right. Uh, you know so something that goes taken for granted in so many other circumstances how many years how many protests how many people were arrested then had the charges dropped um the civil case on mom's behalf I mean how much did it take for our AG to have to step in and be like yo okay we're gonna do something and that obviously is very disheartening for our communities and when I say our communities I mean you know BIPOC individuals and other disenfranchised or disadvantaged historically Mm -hmm. by the system right like yeah yeah, exactly like we're none of us were black but we we all felt what happened and understood Mm -hmm. the complete injustice that it ever took place and the fact that the whole nation saw it and had eyes on aurora i I mean that was that's really intense and it's really heartbreaking you don't ever want your city to get under the microscope and get attention for something that heartbreaking and that wrong that's right um but in terms of you know
2: just but we gotta like Face our demons, so yeah. to speak, right? right? Like 100. that happened, and it's like yep. incumbent up upon us to to deal with it, right, yeah. and to talk about it. Like that's mm-hmm. not something, and like I think it would. I I don't think we would be in the same place we're at today had we not had people continuing to push. Like oh I one thousand percent feel that way locally and nationally, and so mm-hmm. like I like you none of like we can't take credit for that. You know what I mean? No. Like we, we, this is not like a One win job. for yeah, <laughs> win for a politician. Yep. Like this mm-hmm. was a community like saying that this is enough. Right. Yeah. And they were, there were so many people who told them that they were, that they were wrong. Right. They, they were the naysayers and I'm glad people didn't buy into that. Right. Like that they, mm-hmm. they kept going Absolutely. and we, we wouldn't be where we're at, but no. um, I guess the, you were talking about any, about an example of like this, this space. And for me, um, it was like in my first year being elected to city council, um, it was the, uh, Denver Meadows mobile home park. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think for the rest of my life, I will never forget what happened to this community and why and how. So, you know, my district is ward one. It's like the Northwest part of Aurora. It is the, um, Original Aurora, the Colfax Corridor, mm-hmm. the uh, former Stapleton, now Central Park Boulevard neighborhood, um, the Aurora part of that borders Aurora and Denver. Same with the Lowry neighborhood redevelopment neighborhood mm-hmm. and Schutz Medical Campus. So, a lot of like redevelopment pressures over a district that is 57% Latino um, compared to the rest of the city makes $20,000 on average less than the wow. rest of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, 20% have less than a ninth grade education. Like, I've literally worked with resettlement agencies and they put people in Aurora because it's in my part of Aurora specifically because it's the more affordable, uh, traditionally affordable part. So, like, we're redeveloping, quote unquote, like over uh, uh, communities that are vulnerable, right? That are yeah. at risk of being displaced. And Denver Meadows is a um unfortunate um example here um and i wish that wasn't the case so uh, it was a mobile home park and the you know for uh, if you weren't aware but the 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 difference of a mobile home park but perhaps with like another type of home is that the owners own the the brick and mortar right they own the physical unit most times not always but they have the capacity to but they don't own the land Mm -hmm. and so um, they're always, like, it's a naturally occurring source of affordable housing, right? Yeah. We we know we're in an affordable housing crisis nationally now more than ever, you know? And the owner, um, some guy, I think, out of Florida who just owned the land, like, had no, like, real mm. ties to the community, decided he wanted to sell. Yep. And the laws in this country, like, give deference and greater... Um, power to people who own land even though it was going to be displacing um like a hundred families who were predominantly like spanish-speaking immigrant families like they worked the laborious jobs in the community Mm -hmm. like they were like the bedrock of the community their kids went to aurora central nearby um it didn't matter and we knew that there was no place for them to go because there's just we know how how exorbitant the cost of living is yep. the nearest i think at the after all of this happened that somebody moved was uh grand junction like four hours from here like that they were displaced entirely from their mm. like social networks their work their jobs they were right next to a medical campus i'm sure there's a reason like that like they benefited from that just as much as anyone else would have so they he decided to sell and you know what's like even like more terrible is that they were able to engage like a a group called nine to five they're like an advocacy organization they do pretty incredible work and Mm -hmm. they they organized and they were able to get funding from resident-owned communities rock usa um to buy their park like they didn't just they weren't just like like they did something about it. Right. And like we, not that that like makes this the inspiring story. Like they shouldn't have had to. Right. But on top of the fact that they like fought for their, their right to be there. Um, the owner was asking for a certain amount. I think it was like 20 million. I
1: use me.
2: That I know. (laughs) And, uh, they came up with over the asking price. It was like 20.5 million or something um, that they came up with over, you know, not over, but they went over that asking yeah, price, yeah. right? So like, sounds good, right? No, he all of a sudden decided that, like, no, I'm going to push that to 27 million. Like for no, you know what I mean? Like there was, I'm sure he had his his reasons and like they tried, right? And mm-hmm. the like we working with them and trying to, get them like trying to get it zoned a different way there are other cities that allow um you know things like right of first refusals on you know zoning in a particular way and just going through that experience and like me being like so brand new Mm -hmm. um i I, it was hard to like navigate and like what was frustrating was like working with our city attorneys right and like (laughs) i mentioned that like i want to go to law school because like that experience like 100% solidified that for me. Like whenever I tried to push for something like, I know it's possible. I literally have been given that example in another state. Like Mm -hmm. I got the no and not (laughs) the like, if you wanted to, here's how kind of thing. And like, just like not having that, like the acumen or the knowledge of the law, I felt like was a big barrier. And Mm -hmm. it was really frustrating to like try to help people fight help them help themselves and fight to preserve this land ultimately like they weren't able to save their 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 you know mobile home park and it was really uh disheartening and at a minimum we were able to get them relocation assistance but that shouldn't be like the default like the Mm -hmm. default is like sorry you're you're out of luck um sol (laughs) yeah you had to fight for like four years to just get like couple thousand maybe like per yeah. per unit um even though your whole life is going to be completely uprooted and so like the the fundamental question is like what is our role as city council members and, and mm-hmm. government and we know it's like you know for me like i would have been okay like having to like create a legal mechanism to allow them to stay right yeah, yeah. but it just wasn't there like it wasn't there and i you know i don't know if it was just part that the city attorney's office and like whoever was working on it like wasn't w- wanting to or didn't know how or just it, you know like they didn't have that same like connection like mm-hmm. the the like reason to keep pushing right the same and skin like skin in the fight exactly so i don't know like it just um I'll I'll never forget that because I just like that that situation has made me believe that like land use in this country specifically mm-hmm. and and likely elsewhere um is like the manifestation of inequities in this country say that right again. And, <laughs> yes <laughs> seriously it is and um the, if if I were to say anything like that's what it would be it'd be land use law or at least I think right there might <laughs> be something more relevant but. I, it just, you shouldn't have to have a law degree to like be able to like fight for the things that you, like basic things. And I think housing is one of them.
1: Yeah. What about you, Ana? you have any examples or any positive or negative in terms of just like trying to be an agent of change? Oh
0: boy. Um, <laughs> no, I have a similar story. I guess I'll start with the city attorneys and the power that I think attorneys have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listening? In general, like, yeah, seriously, being, uh, you know, <laughs> having that education is a superpower in our society, but Um, We were trying to do something about the issue of, you know, big uh, land speculators and like, you know, real estate investment trusts buying up single family homes Mm -hmm. throughout the city. This has been a big issue since the Great Recession, Um, but it's kind of just like been put on steroids over the last like, you know. Five, six years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like one of the big ones in Aurora is Invitation Homes. Um, like to the point where they have such a large presence that they actually send us little letters in our inboxes, you know, telling us, oh, look at all the services that we provide the Denver Metro area and our <laughs> residents love us. And, <laughs> you know, what's what's happening for those who might not be like in the loop is basically when a lot of folks are out selling their homes now, it's not being bought up by you know, an actual living, breathing person who intends to use it as their primary residence yep. about 20% of the time. And, you know, it's it's not a majority of the time, but that's still what, about a fifth of the time in most major yeah, yeah. markets throughout the U.S. And that has a huge impact on the cost of housing because these mm-hmm. are the these are the kinds of properties that go, you know, well over asking, all cash up front, waived expe- inspections, <laughs> yep. et cetera, like, you know, stuff that normal people wouldn't be able to actually, you know, compete with. No. And that's kind of set the expectation for a lot of sellers so that's part of what's you know i think triggering the real estate bubble throughout the entire country and you know a couple of us were like that's not right you can't compete with that like you Mm -hmm. know everyone needs a home it is a basic human necessity right and here we are treating it like a stock like it's, yeah. I guess it's just a speculative commodity right it's an inelastic good and anyone who tells you differently is lying to you but <laughs> um so yeah so we you know we go to the trade attorney's, attorneys it's like so what can we do here like how, do, how can we address this like can we actually prohibit for like a certain period the sale of a you know single family home to uh, an investor or yeah, someone yeah. who's not going to actually live in it for a certain period of time like let's say 90 days right Uh, Which is actually kind of modeled after what Hawaii does. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, no, we. I got a 13-page memo telling me all the ways that we were going to violate the U.S. Constitution and that we have to meet this unbelievable burden of proof. And it's like they literally do this in Hawaii. Yeah. Like (laughs) because they had such a major issue over there that you know with a similar situation with just like. So, just being everything. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and um, and that that's also becoming an issue in Aurora. Although you know our staff maintains it's not that big of an issue, but I'm still kind of like, mm, how many of these are going on that they're not actually even like getting licenses, exactly. right? Exactly. So. But anyway, um, yeah. So when we were just basically like I said, 13 pages of no. Like, very articulate ways to say no, even though this is done elsewhere in the United States. Like, we operate under the same constitution, so why aren't they vol- violating all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it, it's that kind of frustrating, like, institutional roadblocks yeah, that definitely. prohibit people who would actually have the political will. To try to like you know bring some sort of sanity and like some semblance even of equity because that's not even equity. This is fighting chance, really, is what yeah, we're trying to do. Yeah, this is um, fighting for scraps. Yeah, uh, for like regular people in our city. Yeah. And who does this impact the most? You know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean that's that's just a you know recent example. I mean we can also go to like you know the things that I don't think would have happened if we hadn't had the changes that we've had on our city council over the last several years, like yeah. an immigrant legal defense fund that we tried to set up for folks in Aurora. And you know I think it was Crystal and Coombs who <laughs> uh, sponsored that. And you know I got into my feelings about that conversation because it was going into such a horrible and racist place with some of the people who were calling in. The vitriol was oh my was pretty intense. Yeah. no, and it's like. You know, again, like I don't have the legal portion of the immigrant experience, right? Like my family, but we have the cultural one. And I just hear all these people, they don't even give a shit about the cultural one. They're sitting here fixating on the legal one, you know? And uh, it's like what y'all are doing is basically saying since our system is inequitable, treats people as though they're disposable, Mm -hmm. That we should continue to do that with the callousness that we've always approached this issue with in spite of the fact that a fifth of our population in Aurora is not even born in the U.S. Like you'd think that having a $50,000, which is a small amount Mm -hmm. to begin with, but having that, you know, in a city like Aurora would be like a common sense issue. Because these are people who are like business owners. And mm-hmm. like the core of our labor force. Yeah. And like have children, you know, in our community that are that might actually be citizens, you know, and mm-hmm. are gonna lose their caretakers to our unjust and disgusting immigration system. So no, but we couldn't even get that done. Yeah. So I guess uh to summarize, <laughs> uh, with the current dynamic and I don't know if it's just an aurora or if this is maybe something that other folks experience throughout the country, I've seen, you know, some some wins and some losses, but I feel like where we're currently at as change makers is taking some L's, but setting the narrative for a future win. You know what I mean? I like that. And I think that, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, but it's, it's a fight worth fighting. So.
1: Actually, I think on that note, I mean, that was, that was lovely. I mean, it's a sad story, but it was a great way to kind of sum that all up in terms of you know, we have t- we've been talking about the law, we've been talking about the Hispanic and Latino community, of which in Colorado were kind of the bigger percentage of other communities that face, you know, a lot of disparate and inequitable um, treatment. And, you know, to both of your points, having a law degree is like a huge privilege, mm-hmm. but also like a huge, I see it as an obligation, a moral obligation to, to give back in any, whether it be in your actual job or whether it be in your volunteer work, But um, to use it for good, right, to not continue to perpetuate the status quo. Um, And so maybe those 13 pages is exactly what that was doing. (laughs) It was, you know, perpetuating that status quo without really doing that internal challenge of like, well, why is this the status quo and why am I not choosing to be more? creative and equitable in my interpretation of the law i think that's something that we all you know we recognize that it's it's a lot of it's it's not as black and white as we like to say it is sometimes (laughs) certain things are for sure (laughs) but other things definitely are open to interpretation and, and open to you know persuasive and zealous support and argument for it and so you know there's a lot of hope in especially like in the DBA and CBA to really bring up and foster this sense of of obligation to make things better of recognizing that power that you have whether it's for right or for wrong it comes with a lot of power having that knowledge that acumen and that diploma and that you know that license the state of Colorado license certificate and you know continuing to to try to do good with that and bring change so that individuals like yourselves that are on the front lines have the ability to do the things we want like that legal defense um, issue like objectively I'm sure if you talk to a lot of people on the street they would have been in agreement but they either didn't know how to support it didn't live in Aurora to support it you know and then you have kind of circling back to the people that get involved in politics or the people that tend to have the privilege time power and energy to do so and so a lot of people are kept out of the conversation and the discussion because of that too. But um, I wanted just to just close out and ask both of you, you know, what does what does being Hispanic or Latino? I know we've, we use them interchangeably. They're not interchangeable. I think that's really more of a reflection of the preference for Latino. But the, 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 the celebration is called Hispanic and it is what it is. Um, but like, how does that what does that mean to you, Juan?
0: Yeah, it's I mean, so I guess let's start that by saying that I was not really taught that much about Puerto Rican history. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, again, part of because, you know, my parents wanted to raise us like middle class white kids. So it was more like, you know, yeah, we have this language, we have barandas and we have, you know, this food and we have mm-hmm. this kind of music and all that stuff. But the history of what happened on the island was never really taught to mm-hmm. me as a child. I had to actually learn that as an adult. So I think um, my my mother, though, and I know my father as well, but my mother especially, she knows that history. And I think it's part of what has shaped the way that she interacts with you know, I guess the norms of our society, Mm -hmm, right? So mm. my mother is uh, someone who doesn't really take (laughs) no for an answer, (laughs) and uh, advocates very furiously. (laughs) And uh, especially when she thinks something is unjust. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's something that she kind of instilled in me. And I think that's something that I bring with me uh, to my advocacy as a council member, and also as a community activist. Um, But yeah, like being a Latino with like, you know, that kind of context of like the history of what happened in puerto rico you know like we'd like to talk about it how it's like oh it's a commonwealth it's you know part mm-hmm. of the u.s it's great And it's like no it's a colonized territory yep and like heavily divested from yep. any meaningful kind of infrastructure the people are treated like second-class citizens and that's just the people in san juan if you go out into the rural parts like, of yeah. the oh, forget it so yeah i mean um it's i guess being you know with with the unique history of puerto rico is being you know part colonized but also part colonizer yeah, you know, like my family, uh, our roots go back to uh, the conquistadors, the mm-hmm. Francisco Pizarro, and mm-hmm. um, but also we're Taíno. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, what mm-hmm. uh, so my great grandmother was uh, Taíno. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's, uh, it's it is that mix that I think exemplifies a lot of the struggle in you know not just Latin America but also in the United States. So, um, and I think that that perspective that it gives me is that we need to know our history in order to know where we're going. Yeah. Um. we need to acknowledge what was done incorrectly and do everything we can to correct those injustices. So that's what that means to me in this role.
2: When I hear Hispanic, I say, like, that's my government name. You know? I know, <laughs> right? Yeah, 100, I know. That's, that's the box I'm forced to check. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. And like, I think that, like, speaks to, like, the generational piece. Like, I, I definitely feel more comfortable saying Latino, Latina specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, I... I think we're a giant umbrella, right? Yeah. So yeah. like some people like want to use that like you know leveling with folks and even like uh, in academia right like the the Latinx like the gender neutral version yep, yep. Um, I think would be so odd like my grandma would look at me sideways if I ever was <laughs> like yeah I am Latinx oh, yeah. am I am am I 80 something your grandma has me? rolled her <laughs> eye yeah. Latinx yeah, que yeah. yeah. Latinx yeah so yeah, no. so, yeah it's like uh, to me it's like I never want to be like in a space where like I don't feel like I can connect or like level with just like the people like just people yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like um I so for me, like I would probably use like Latina, but um I think even more, like I remember growing up, like that like negotiation of not enough too much. Mm-hmm. Um, ni de aquí, ni de allá. <laughs> exactly. And like I remember I used to be like, no, I'm Mexican. Like uh, that is me. Oh my gosh. And like, you know, I'm really, like pretty light skinned and like I depending on like you know i went to eight different schools growing up so like Mm -hmm. i got the like you know when i was at south middle school they were like all latino right so like i didn't feel that way i didn't feel poor either because we were all poor like brown (laughs) and poor basically but like when as they started moving like up to like the cherry creek school district like Mm. oh my god like that was like culture shock right and so uh, started having like that like identity crisis and then even in college, like I would still be like, yeah, no, I'm Mexican. It wasn't until I was like halfway across the world in uh, Madrid, Spain. Like that's where I studied abroad. <laughs> mm-hmm. I ran across and like was out and about um, and ran into uh, a group of students that were also Mexican, but from Mexico. Oh, they Mexican, check you mad And I was just yeah. like, I, I, they were like, <laughs> oh, did you, where are you from? And I was like, Huh? like I don't I, like I didn't grow up in Mexico yeah, yeah, so like yeah. that <laughs> it was just like like very um eye opening and like it took me um going halfway across the world to like really like reflect on what that identity mm-hmm. meant to me because even like speaking Spanish like I was like this is not like the same, the same. <laughs> like none of the food was spicy first of all like that was like the real upset and like of course like I didn't know what and Juan what I and I are like into. oh yeah it's not but, yeah, yeah no I was that just is like, I had, to, <laughs> I had to really refine my palate, you know, I was like for like two weeks. I was just like kind of miserable because I didn't understand because they like speak fast and then they chop off their words. So yep. like, instead <laughs> of saying Colorado, it's like Colorado and it's like really quick and like splicing things sure. together and it's just like it was just funny so like aside from that but like <laughs> it took me being halfway across the world to like gain some perspective like outside of my own bubble and to like, yeah. really become comfortable and now i'm like i'm mexican american like i got to honor like i literally did not grow up in mexico but i feel strongly about like my mexican latino heritage that for me it is like i specifically say my name in english and spanish like Mm -hmm. crystal murillo Mm -hmm. like the the parts where like we were recording our names like for re-election like ought to be like on the you know we're trying to be inclusive these audio ballots Mm -hmm. and i really struggled it's like how do i say my name i've always said my name this way but (laughs) are voters gonna know Crystal Murillo. Yeah, are or they gonna, Crystal Crystal no. Murillo. I literally Crystal had Murillo.
1: three versions. Yeah, <laughs> I was
2: like, yeah, no, I was like, okay, do I say the Spanglish, the all the Spanish, or just English? <laughs> so, like, is it Cristal Murillo? Is it Crystal Murillo, or is it Crystal Murillo? Yeah. I was like, I literally spent like hours, <laughs> like, and it took thirty seconds to record. Like, I, I think I like just ended with the Spanglish version. I was like, that's how I say my <laughs> yeah. name. That is how I say my name. Like, if there's something confusing about that. I don't know what to do about it because that is how I say my name, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're in a place where it's like, there's enough Spanish culture here, like, like our name is Colorado, like that's well, a Spanish oh. word, like enough. Where I feel like the double L, I'm just let's just go for it, y'all. Yeah, like, yes. But like, you know, well, I, I, remember, oh I can't like, even can do it. Succeed, <laughs> like that's where you gotta just trust. Like I'm from here. Like all right, that's just like what my gut's telling me. Like yep. let's not overcomplicate it. But legit, a like was it felt like a crisis I went through. That's like me. identity well, no, I I get, I get that.
0: I remember when Mario Solis Marich was on the radio here on AM 760. And people would call in and yell at him because he would say Colorado's progressive talk. And people would call in and be like, it's Colorado, brother. <laughs> like, no, seriously, like, so I, I hear that tension. But I get
1: it yeah. every time, like, I have to enter my appearance in court and I'm like, Annie Martinez. Annie Martinez. Annie Martinez? Am I on? An- <laughs>
0: <laughs> what even is my name? <laughs> yeah, so and back I, to you.
1: And I, I'm in front of a lot of the same, like, Judicial officers, that's part of like kind of the, the appeal of what I do is that I like being in, in the same county oh. and getting to see the same people. And so th- I'm sure that they must think like, what the hell is wrong with her? Just pick a freaking pronunciation and stick with it. But <laughs> it's, not it's, that it's not that simple because, you know, for me, it's Ani. But I go by Annie. I say it in mm-hmm. English a lot, but you know, my dad and always say Annie, Annie, Annie. You know? yeah, so yeah. that's how that's what I'm used to. I'm used to the ah and then Martinez. But then you get you start to like anglicize it and you're like Martinez. Or, yeah. like I had a college professor say Martinez. And I was like, yo, oh, okay. goes- come on. <laughs> you gotta draw the the, the line, line somewhere. somewhere. That would be yeah. that was the line yeah. was drawn. Yeah. Me, that was definitely <laughs> no, like, the line drawn. My but,
0: my last name at one of my uh, workplaces in Texas was Smith for a while because for some Reason they couldn't say Marcano or Marcano. I was about to
1: say you can't say Marcano.
0: Marcano. Like phonetically,
2: that's pretty. It's pretty that's, easy. That's one like, of the easier ones we're Yeah,
0: and like I, I grew up Which getting like problem. Marconi, macaroni, like <laughs> stuff like that. Like no, seriously. But Whoa. like the like I'm not even gonna try. Your name is Smith now. It's like damn, that is straight up some Ellis Island shit. Yeah, that's like, come on. That's, like they just like erase. They just gave up. They just yeah. like
2: here is this name for you. Right, it's, right. It's nice for us to say. It's mm-hmm. easier for me we and I'm find. the default. Yeah. So, what yeah. I. You have to adjust to mean. my comfortability. Yep. No,
1: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. Well, um, I think. <laughs> well, I feel like we just got on a roll and now you're like yeah, trying yeah, to it shut it down. It down. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> my pero like, pero like. Pero like. <laughs> pero like. Did either of you have anything you wanted to add to wrap up?
0: Uh, no, this has been cool. I hope that this was, uh you know, uh, that the folks are going to find this to be like an interesting conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I'm, hope you like me. <laughs> yeah, I, ho- I hope that this was a, you know, it gives you an, inter- uh, an insight into kind of like how we function as, you know, Latino electeds. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, both in our own way, history makers in Aurora. So yeah.
2: Well, and and like I- I'm sure like all of the other people that i have like spoken like like we're not a monolith and it's like Mm -hmm. 100% like a constant negotiation of like expressing your values as an individual right because we do get to be complex individuals like Mm -hmm. you know we didn't talk about the other parts of our lives right like (laughs) the intersection of like mental health right like when we are going through these like big changes in our lives like I remember being at a different place Mm -hmm. struggling through some things in college Mm -hmm. and then like a whole different set of issues that like that code switching that like doubt that like constant negotiation between cultures and Mm -hmm. even for me like like age and just like level of like what credibility means like Mm -hmm. and I think at the end of the day like those are all individual conversations in and of itself but like I just remember I had to be my biggest advocate And where and when and where I faltered because I'm I'm human, right? Mm -hmm. Like and I things get to me sometimes like surrounding yourself with people who like, you know, also believe that about yourself. There's nothing special you had to do to earn that love and support, except for they believe in the same things and that you get to be this like polished and messy complicated and simple person like you get to be all of those things in one body and that they're that that they trust you to navigate and to um show up in your own own way um and like respect those boundaries you know um and just like fundamentally believe that like that's been the i think the life lesson really for me is like like being your biggest advocate and where Mm -hmm. when and where (laughs) you have moments where that's not necessarily possible like making sure that you're tapping into your community, right? Tapping Mm -hmm. into folks who you know you can trust and are going to help you get through those things. And I imagine, like... I haven't been to law school, but I'm going to say that <laughs> there might be those moments in, like, law school. Uh, I hear it's kind of stressful. Uh, that might be helpful to have. So, you know, I you know I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, I do, you know, I, I work at DU. We have a law school there. <laughs> um, so shout out if you um, did go to DU and uh, went to law school there. But, you know, maybe that is a path for me and, like, thinking about, like how we continue to be change agents like you just Mm -hmm. there isn't a right or wrong or a a perfect time you just Mm -hmm. evolve in like your ability capacity and understanding of 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 issues and Mm -hmm. i just i don't regret coming into this so early yeah yeah um if anything i feel like that's why I'm here today, like and like, perhaps had I had a little more support in certain areas, things might have been different. But like, I also don't regret the the journey, right? Like the process, like yeah. kind yeah. of. And I'm stubborn. Like I feel like I have to learn the same <laughs> lessons like ten times over, um, <laughs> uh, for me to get it. So maybe I was just preparing for, to learn those lessons earlier because like I knew it needed to I needed to take a longer time to learn them, mm-hmm. so that when I am like a different age or whatever, when I'm ready to like do something different. That I'm like, okay, we're, we're moving on to the next Ready one. I, I finally learned this. <laughs> well, I
1: want to thank both of you for your time today, for being in the studio and for joining me on behalf of the CBA and DBA to kind of um, continue the conversation about what it means to be Hispanic and how we use that to be either, uh, you know, as an attorney, as not an attorney, as an agent of change like we talked about today. And, you know, I really think our listeners are going to enjoy hearing th- the perspective of our younger leaders. I mean, you know, Juan, you're, uh, what were we saying, a, a middle-aged a millennial? Geriatric no, ger- millennial. <laughs> 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 you know, and Crystal being more of a baby millennial, it sounds like. Yeah, Zoy. I'm like almost in Gen Z, yeah, which it- feels
2: crazy to say. But
1: it's it's amazing to be able to, like, highlight that for our listeners and our members, to be able to see how things are evolving And how, you know, maybe they can play a role in ways that they never really thought or anticipated when they, you know, when they first started playing this podcast. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, again, I want to thank you both for being in the studio. I want to thank the listeners. This was uh, Bienvenidos. Thank you so much for joining us today. And, uh, yeah, catch you all later. Bye, Bye, (laughs) y'all.
0: Bienvenidos, a CBA-DBA limited series podcast celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month has been brought to you by the Colorado and Denver Bar Associations. On behalf of your host, Annie Martinez, thank you for listening. Gracias por acompañarnos hoy.